1: Coming to you from Classic City,
2: the capital of the Bulldog Nation,
0: it's time for another edition of the podcast designed
1: for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country.
0: Here are
2: your hosts, Tyler and Charlie.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me in studio in the greatest college town in all the land, is my coach, Charlie, and it is yet another Mailbag Monday here on the Glory UGA Podcast. Since we started doing these off-season Mailbag Mondays, what, I guess a few weeks ago, we have finally started to make at least a little bit of a dent in our long list of mailbag questions, but I know there are still more than a few that we have not gotten to yet, and for those of you who are very patiently waiting for us to get to your questions, I promise you, we will get to all of them that have been sent in. The truth is, some of them were honestly just so good that we are trying to hold them for later on this off season. You guys have probably figured out our process at this point. We like to start off these mailbag episodes with a kind of bigger picture question that we can really dig into, and then just take it from there. And some of the questions we get kind of just lend themselves more to those in-depth discussions that Charlie just loves so much. She loves when I go off on a 20-minute tangent, right, Charlie?
1: Obviously. You don't have
0: this. I swear you never have a glazed-over look on your face. I just look over and I'm like, I've lost her. She's gone. Never, Never, never. That's never happened once before. Never. So just put it out there. If we haven't answered one of your questions yet, it's really kind of a compliment. Just saying. If you think about it, it's kind of a compliment because we're just saving your question because we think so highly of that question. But anyway, keep the questions coming, guys. We are making progress through the list that we have now, and we need more. We're, we're quickly running out of questions, and we got a long offseason ahead of us. So any question you got, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, just even national and college stuff, anything that's on your mind in the college landscape, please send it our way. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore You can just tweet them to us. You can DM us. We have our DMs open for you guys. You can email them to us at podcast at gmail.com. Whatever works for you guys, we'll get those, we'll compile them in our list, and we'll get through them throughout the next couple of months here as we get closer and closer to the 2021 season. Charlie, it's like almost April. Has that hit you yet? Yes. Like I looked up at the counter actually this morning and I was like, oh my God, Like we're like a week away from April. And that's awesome, right? Is that... Or are we at the point now where we're just so old that we don't want time to pass?
1: I mean, don't wish your life away.
0: Don't wish your life away. But like the way my mind has operated all my entire life, especially my adult life, is it's basically football season and then the deep, dark despair of the offseason. And I'm just trying to get to football season.
1: You have such a positive outlook on life. Well,
0: I mean, I love life. I like college basketball season. But I I love college football season so much. I love the fall so much. That the rest of the year kind of just can't compare. And I'm not gonna lie, like in the past, it's kind of like, just please God, can we just get to can we just get to August? Really, once we get to like SEC media days in the late part of the summer, usually, that's when it's like, okay, now we're like in the home stretch, then we get to fall camp, and then we get to August, and then you're basically there. So we're getting there. April, we're making progress, we're making progress. So anyway, uh we'll get to our next batch of questions momentarily, but first, as we like to do when new five-star reviews of the show come in on Apple Podcasts, we wanna give a couple of shout-outs today. So big shout outs to B Robson90 and LCMS Pastor1122. For the two most recent five star reviews of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We know not everyone listens to us on Apple Podcasts, but the vast majority of our listeners do. That's where most of our listens come from. But we know that we've got some of you out there on Google Play, on Stitcher, uh, various outlets out there. There's a bunch of different places. uh, Spotify, we've got some people out there on Spotify as well. So we know not everyone can actually review us on Apple Podcasts, but we do sincerely appreciate that. We really appreciate the kind words and support for the podcast from B. Robson and LCMS Pastor because I mean, honestly, guys, I know I've said this many times, but outside of listening to the podcast and spreading word to friends and family about the show, those reviews are the best way you guys can support the show. So again, thank you very much to B. Robson90, LCMS Pastor, and everyone else who has taken the time to write us five-star reviews over the past couple of years. You guys are all very, very much appreciated. But all right, you've got questions. We've got answers. This is what you came here to listen to today. So let's get into it. Charlie, what do you have for me today?
1: All right. We're gonna start with a couple of questions about UGA's pro day that took place last week. And I know you were just Athens. riveted
0: to the television, weren't you? Watching every second. Just I, soaking it in.
1: I wasn't I, I work. I couldn't watch it. Oh, you were, so if, I mean no, I don't have a job where I can sit. I'm with
0: You host a podcast. You're supposed to make people. make time for these things. This is
1: true. I could have recorded it, but you I did could, not. Uh, I did follow it on Twitter though, so give me some. I mean, I guess credit. in this day and
0: age, that's what people do
1: yeah i mean
0: really what are you watching like I, I i'll be real i watched a little bit of it i didn't watch all of it doesn't I just,
1: take long to watch somebody run a 40 it, it really doesn't <laughs> so
0: like i i started to watch the first part but i was like this is really boring i'm sorry i love georgia sports but this is boring me i got things i can be doing i can check up on updates later on that's kind of what i did too so i'm sorry i didn't mean to give you a hard time because i basically did the same thing
1: yeah,
0: yeah yeah thanks yeah
1: all right well, we had several former players in town working out for the NFL personnel, and Seth wants to know who were the biggest winners and losers from UGA's pro day last week. Kind of, is
0: it kind of? I mean, I, we love you, Seth. Thanks for the question, buddy. But um, is, I think it, it's is, is, is it question. is a
1: relevant it, question?
0: It's very relevant. But is it, it is there another word we can use besides losers, or am I just being a snowflake?
1: Perhaps. Do they we want did to call our have as big of a day as they sure? I just don't want to call to our have. any of
0: our former players losers. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I get, I get the concept The winners you lose to more people. Do you give
1: everybody
0: a trophy? Oh no, Ooh, Charlie! You just, do you have friends?
1: You came at me hard about not watching it on TV. I the did, seat. I did, I
0: said, I did the same thing.
1: <laughs> right back at you.
0: you. I have no idea what so you're saying. So would
1: you give everybody a trophy?
0: No, of course I wouldn't give everybody a trophy. That's a problem in society. Of course, that's a problem. Okay.
1: again, this is a. I'm sorry. I don't know what
0: we're even talking Bad about now. Tangent. Let's go back to the original That's question. The so question. winners and losers. Winners and losers from UJ's Pro Day. Perhaps so perhaps
1: those that did not succeed as they had hoped.
0: Okay, I like that. Those or we had winners opinions, and those who did losers. not succeed. Yeah. Losers or aka those who did not succeed to the level in which they aspired to. Can yeah, we go with that? Something like that. All right, so um, the winners, let's start there. Let's start with the good news. Um, Eric Stokes, like we all knew Eric Stokes was fast. I mean, even coming out of of high school, like he was a track guy coming out of high school, a very, very raw track guy. He's one of those guys that, oh yeah, Kirby Smart can't develop players. Really? Case in point number one, Eric Stokes, yes, Kirby Smart can develop players. I don't think Stokes is going to end up as a first-round draft, but you guys know. Like, I'm not an NFL guru. I, I try to make that very clear. I follow the NFL. I just don't follow anywhere near as closely and religiously as I do college football. So maybe he ends up in the first round. Maybe there's some there there's some conversation that happens. But from what I'm hearing, and it just makes sense, probably a second-round type guy. Maybe get somewhere in the, in the middle to high second rounds. But he, he actually absolutely put his speed on full display. So if you didn't know, now you know Eric Stokes can flat out move. Put up 425 and 429 in the 40. So he's a sub 4340 guy. And you hear like Charlie you hear this all the time. Like, oh this guy he, he's a four-four guy. He's a four three guy. And it's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Like If you listen to people talk, like half the half of the college football landscape runs a 4-3. They do not. It's very rare that people actually run true, legit, bona fide 4-3, 40-yard dash. Or or anything like 4-3, just a 4-3, but anything sub-4-3, that is extraordinarily rare. It does not happen very often. Eric Stokes is a legit, true sub-4-3 guy. Uh, so those numbers are huge, kind of, because that, that's his strength coming into this, is everybody knew he's a fast guy, but you don't want to have one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we think he's fast, but he puts up, like, a good time, let's say he runs, like, a four four one. that's still a really fast guy, that's moving, but that's not going to wow the NFL personnel, I mean, If you're a guy that your reputation is you're really fast and you run a 4-4-1, it's crazy to say this, but it's kind of a disappointment because they're expecting you to put up a big number. And Eric Stokes did not disappoint. He put up those big numbers, those two 4 340-yard dashes. The vertical was good. It wasn't like an – he's not – and this kind of makes sense if you watch Stokes. Like He's really fast in a straight line. His lateral movement is good, but not elite. Uh, and maybe not the most explosive guy, like vertically with his leap. I mean, 38 and a half inches, that's good. But it's, you know, it's not like a 40 or anything like that, which, which to me is like that's when you start talking about elite vertical leaps. Uh, but he did have almost 33-inch arm, which I think really helped him as one well. thing that kind of opened up some eyes. So you look at the, the length there uh, along with the speed. I think Eric Stokes helped himself, really solidified himself in the minds of a lot of NFL personnel as a guy that they, they might invest a draft pick on in the second or third round, somewhere around there. And then uh, the other guy I want to point out here, there's actually a couple guys I thought had, had good days, but Aziz Ojalari apparently just wowed everybody. Uh, the guy put up, I've, I've from different outlets, Charlie, you said you were keeping up with the things on Twitter, I was too. I read somewhere that he he put up 26 reps on the bench press of 225 pounds, then I read a couple other places that was 28 reps. I've seen 28 reps more than I have 26 reps, so let's give Aziz the benefit of the doubt and say he put up 28 reps of 225 pounds, which is big time for him. And the guy moved really well, which, again, if you watch him play, that's not the, all that surprising. To put up well, what I've got him listed at here is uh, most, well, again, various outlets reporting different things. I did see somewhere that he might have run a four, five, eight, but most outlets that are reporting his time. Put him at a 4.66 and a 4.62 respectively. Still really good times. And who knows? Maybe it was a 4.58 there and somebody got it wrong. I don't know. I just saw 4.66 and 4.62 more consistently there. And he did that at 6.2, 250 pounds. So he's got the strength. He's got the speed. And guys, you, you've you seen this. You've seen him anchor on the edge, set the edge against the run, and do it very well with a lot of toughness, a lot of physicality. We've seen that strength. We've also seen the speed on full display. When he, when he gets past the, the, the defensive end, is able to kind of burst to the quarterback we saw that a couple times in the Peach Bowl that wasn't altogether surprising for him but to see him put it all together there again on full display for all that NFL personnel I think Aziz might have pushed himself into the first round if he wasn't already there I think he might have solidified himself if some of the NFL draft guys already saw him there I think Aziz uh certainly certainly put himself as in the first round of the NFL draft, I'd be at this point surprised. Again, not an NFL guru, but I'd be surprised if he drops out of the first round. A couple other guys, I thought really, I mean, didn't hurt themselves. I thought Monty Rice running a four-five-nine, running sub-four-six, even though it was four-five-nine about. As close to four or six as you could get. I think running in the four or five range really helped his draft stock. No, Monty's not gonna go in the first or even the second round, but I do think that helped him find a spot probably somewhere in the middle rounds. We can be there, make a team, maybe get a a nice little signing bonus. Tyson Campbell didn't blow us away with his speed because you know he was another guy that was a big-time trap reputation coming to high school. I think he ran a 10 200 meter, I want to say coming to high school if I remember correctly. Put up a really good time again, four-three, seven. That's a really fast player. I think somewhere else I had him clocked at 4-4, but I did read a couple places. They had 4-3-7. So that's moving. That guy, that's that's elite speed. But again, when you think of him as, with his track reputation, I think some people were expecting him to maybe run a little bit faster, maybe closer to what Eric Stokes ran in the 4-2 range. So when he runs a 4-3-7, even though that's incredibly fast, that was maybe slightly disappointing. But I still think he ran a 4-3-7 with his lane. I think Tyson Campbell, uh, I think he's just fine. I don't think he'll be a first round pick. I think he's a guy who could probably find himself in the second round. Now, for the other side of the spectrum, I will not use the the L word because I don't want to call our guys losers. Call me a snowflake if you want. That's fine. But what do we say, Charlie? Those who did not perform at the level at which they desired or Those aspired. Those
1: who did not succeed to, to the level which at which they aspired. Aspire. aspire.
0: Let's go. I like it. I like it. It rolls off the tongue. Uh man. I hate to do this. Um, Richard LeCount. Charlie, did you see this? Yes. Richard count
1: Well, he was in a pretty bad I know. accident.
0: We have to say, like, this is injury yeah. impacted, right? This is impacted by the injury. He's yes. clearly not 100 percent And and look, Richard was never, I'll be honest, he was never the fastest guy out there. But he ran a he put up a 478. I think Richard runs like if he's fully healthy, I think he's faster than the 478. I think Richard's probably in like the mid 4'6 range. And I think he has, he's a guy that does have football speed. When you get him out there on the field and he starts flying around, he move, he's he got some closing speed. He can move. But in a 40-yard dash situation, clearly that's not the best setting for him. At least it wasn't uh, last week during Pro Day. Four seven, 8 that really hurt especially when you consider he's only 5. He measured in at 5'10", 196 pounds. So it's not like he has big size to compensate for that. Like if you're Cam Chancellor back in the day, come out of Virginia Tech, get drafted by the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and you're a big physical safety you can maybe get away with a four seventy because that's not your game. You want to be that, that kind of enforcer, but when you're only five ten one ninety six, like you can't be running a four seven eight and expect to be drafted. I, mean, I don't know. I, Richard might not even get drafted now, and that hurts me to say. Yeah. And I hope that. Like, do you? Th- I mean, I know you're not really. You're less of an NFL person than I am. But do you think those NFL guys, the NFL coaches, the 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 scouts, do you think they take into account the fact that he is coming off a pretty significant? motorcycle injury
1: i think they take it into account however they have to also be aware of and have the information of is he going to be able to get back to where that's, he that's yeah
0: is he ever going to because get healthy
1: if he can't because
0: we're talking that was what that was october
1: serious. yeah
0: that I was don't... that was october mid-october yeah no at late october is my it was actually my don't It was my birthday. It was my birthday weekend this past year.
1: Stop talking about your birthday. I know we did this You're last old. year, but that's
0: just that's how I remember. I just remember it happened because like, I was in Lexington for my birthday weekend at that game, and that's when he got hurt.
1: Okay. Right. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. But no, you have to wonder if he's going to be able to be as quick and as strong as he was prior to you.
0: You would hope so, because like I mean, but guys, you never
1: know. I.
0: You never. I mean, I serious. don't know the severity of the injury. Like we know it was really serious. Because he didn't never was able to make it back, but like we don't know exactly all the details of what was what it was injured and and the complications that he might have experienced. So I, I hope so, man. But you're right, like when not, when a guy's coming off an injury and but they have like they have verifiable numbers where it's like, Well, this guy, we know in the past he's ran like a four four or four five. It's like, you know what, we can we'll we'll take a flyer on him because we know that he has that kind of speed. when you put up a four seven eight. seven, somebody eight, will. You, I don't know. I hope so. Based on, I'm hoping that his his game tape right. is enough. Because he's put, I and mean. And
1: what his coaches no, say was, about him.
0: Yes, and how hard he works, how much of a leader he is. We I mean, remember this guy worked so hard to try to get back for the Peach Bowl. Couldn't quite get back out there, but he was there with his team, working out, got in for the last play. And that was just a, a beautiful sight to see there. Because he was a great, a, a very good player. Maybe not ever as... As good as I thought he might be coming out of high school as a five-star, but it's still a very, very good player for us and just an incredible addition to that locker room. Just kind of one of the centerpieces of your team, especially in your locker room. That's really important. Maybe, maybe that will – maybe have somebody take a flyer on him in the, in the seventh round or something. I don't know. But I, that certainly hurt him. And I, I'm going to – I don't want to call him out, but Charlie, being Cleveland, I know you texted me when he put up his 40-yard dash. You were like, whoa, 485, 40-yard dash, right? Yeah. That's big time for a guy that size. Did you see his bench rep total though?
1: Yeah, that Let me come on. low.
0: He was going for 50. Like he was talking yeah, about, I want 50.
1: 20 And under. he at
0: 30? Charlie, okay. You're going to, you're going to rip me for this. And I know no one out there is going to believe this.
1: Are you going to brag?
0: I'm. It's going to sound like a brag. I don't mean it as a brag. I mean this as context. But
1: therefore it is a brag? I, no,
0: this is not a brag. It's
1: okay, let's hear it.
0: This is just meant for context only. Okay. I, once upon a time, many, many years ago, used to do competitive powerlifting. Charlie, you're aware of this. You used to give me a hard time for this. Yeah. Okay. I used to do – Like so after I was done – I actually did a little bit while I was playing football in high school. Then uh, for about a year, like my freshman year of college, I actually was like doing competitive powerlifting. Um, and I I mean, I mean, was like the strongest guy in the world. But I mean I, I lifted a, the 198-pound range. And I, back in the day, cannot do this now because I'm an old man. Back in the day, guys, I could rep 225 pounds 20 plus times. I I could get it 21, 22, 23 times if it was the right day. All right? Cannot do that now. But there was a time in my life where I could do that at 200 pounds. Ben Cleveland is about 100 pounds heavier than that and has this reputation for being a beast of a man. And yeah, he benched 225 pounds 30 times which is, that's great. That's awesome. That's more than I could ever do in my life even when I was doing competitive powerlifting. But he's also 100 pounds more than me and played college, college football for five years. He's probably, what, 20, 22, 23 years old now? And he's talking about 50 reps. You only put up 30? That makes no sense to me. Was, like, he, we have to think he was injured in some way, right? Like Was there a shoulder, something going on? Because Ben Cleveland, in no way can he only bench 30 reps of 225. There's no way that's possible. Aziz Ojolari at 250 put up Two reps less than him at 28. Come on, and Big Cleveland's supposed to be the strongest guy on the team. Either someone sold us a bill of goods, or we just got maybe mesmerized by like what his physique looked like. But 30 reps. I mean, I'm gonna be real. That's kind of disappointing if it, if it's not injury related. Did I brag too much? That's not bragging. That's not bragging. That's not bragging. That's just you should giving have just context. Blown on
1: past instead of saying is that bragging? You should have just kept on going. Well, you
0: you put it in my head like I'm bragging. I'm not trying to brag. I I I can't do that anymore. But once upon a time, I, I'm just trying to give context that little old nobody me at 200 pounds could bench 225 about 22-ish times.
1: going to stop bragging now?
0: I'm not bragging. I'm done with this. Context. Moving on. I'll put Ben Cleveland on the list of, even though you're in a good 40-yard dash, I would be, like for an offensive lineman, I think your your bench press total will be more relevant than what your 40 yard dash time is cuz you're never going to run a 40 yard dash. Now you need to be able to move, sure, you need to have some flexibility, but I don't know how much the 40 yard dash tells us there. Yeah, athletic, sure, to a degree, but yeah, I'll put him on again, what do we call this? The those who those did
1: not succeed to which that to
0: the to level to which they aspire. aspire. We'll go with it. All right. Anyway, moving on. What's question number two?
1: All right, Eric wants to know which of the former players that worked out at pro day last week will Georgia miss the most next season?
0: Ooh. All right. There's some good players. I mean, it's hard to not say it's Ezo Iz is was a beast for us last year. He's gonna be a first round draft pick. Monty Rice is a great inside linebacker, really good inside linebacker, really good leader for this team. Richard LeCount, again, great leader, good, very good player. Ben Cleveland on the offensive line was really kind of a stalwart there for us last year. We'll miss all those guys to a degree. I think to me this is a pretty clear answer. I'm gonna go with Eric Stokes more than anything just because we have, what What do we have right now? Like What have we been talking about all offseason? We have no depth at cornerback. And losing out like Eric Stokes, who developed into a really really good cornerback now I don't think he was ever an elite cornerback but a really good cornerback when you have so little experience behind him I think we have talented guys as we've talked about ad nauseum with guys like Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber maybe a mere speed it's time for him to step up and take a step there Nylon Green coming in but it'd be really nice when we have a team that's set up everywhere else to do huge things to maybe not have a hole like we have in the sec- at least at cornerback right now, when you consider how all these top teams are just throwing the ball all over the field now, you got to have cornerback play. And losing a guy like Eric Stokes, who was a starter for us for multiple years, very fast player, really good cornerback, losing a guy like him, you can maybe throw Tyson Campbell in there as well. I just think Eric Stokes was a far more consistent player than Tyson Campbell was. I think Campbell does have a higher ceiling if you ever gets to that point, but Eric Stokes is a far more consistent player through his career here in Athens, so I'm going with Eric as the guy that we will miss the most.
2: All right.
0: Now, hopefully, Keely Ringo and, and assorted teammates will put that to rest and make me look like a fool, but right now, I would say Eric Stokes.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All
1: right. Well, for our next question, UGA Dogs 113 wants to talk a little bit about spring practice um he said or she said in a recent interview kirby revealed that adam anderson is getting work at star and with his speed and athleticism uga dogs 113 has faith that it could work out and reminds him of when lorenzo carter played star some back in 2017 yep and thinks that it would allow us to get anderson and nolan smith on the field at the same time what do you think
0: Bingo. Nailed it. UGA dogs, 113. Great call here. And yes, Kirby did mention that. And we alluded to this a little bit early off season. Like this is a way like, we have to have Adam Anderson on the field he's too disruptive to not have on the field. He's just too good of a player, too gifted, too athletic to not have on the field. There's no way, I think against Alabama, he played single digit snaps. There's no way on earth against a top five team that a guy as talented as Adam Anderson should only be on the field for single digit snaps. That, That cannot happen next year. I know last year we had Aziz. I get it. We had Jermaine Johnson. That cannot happen this year he's one of our most talented defenders, maybe our most talented overall defender. We got to find ways to get him on the field. But the, as we've said many times on the show, the problem is he's not big enough to consistently hold up against the run on the edge, setting the edge there. That's That makes it tough. So you, what do you do then? If you have to get this guy on the field, but he can't hold up on the edges consistently against the run on standard downs, how do you get him on the field? And I think this is the obvious answer, especially when you consider what we did with Lorenzo Carter back in 2017 where well, we kind of unveiled him in that Notre Dame game in in South Bend, we kind of, that was the first big game where we had him come out there and play, like flat out playing star, because he had the versatility, and what that does, guys, when you have a guy that, and, and we also did a couple years before, go back to when we had Leonard Floyd as well, we did it maybe a little bit of a different way with, with Leonard Floyd, but Kirby's use of Lorenzo Carr, and let's, let's also give uh, Mel Tucker, some credit there as well as a defensive coordinator. But their use of Lorenzo Carter in 2017 as kind of a hybrid outside linebacker star player made it very, very easy for us or much easier for us to match personnel. What I mean by that is we didn't have to run guys in and off the field. Because what's happened, guys, throughout the past couple of years, one of the biggest innovations of the past couple of years offensively is that offenses have really migrated towards hybrid players in offense like for example tight ends right everybody wants to get Eric Gilbert why is Eric Gilbert so valuable because Eric Gilbert's a hybrid tight end what does that mean that means that you can have him on the field and, and be in various personnel groupings. you can be in 11 personnel you can be in 12 personnel you can be in 10 personnel or empty or whatever and never have to sub never have to run guys on and off the field and that's important because what have what what have the rules been changed to now? Offenses do not have to give defenses play defenses time to sub to get players in to match their personnel packages unless the offense subs. So what offenses have done to try to speed the game up and go up-tempo and not allow defenses to get their different packages on the field is they have tried to hybridize. Is that even a word, Charlie? Hybridize? We're going to go with that. How about this? They have transitioned to more hybrid-type players in offense. Where they don't have to sub. You have a tight end that can play in line if you want to with certain personnel package or grouping, but you can also spread out and play receiver. That's what they have done. Well, that has created a lot of problems for defenses for years. And what a guy like Lorenzo Carter allowed us to do, and what a guy Adam Anderson can allow us to do if we use him in the same way we use Lorenzo, is you can match. What offenses are doing with hybrid players? How do you match hybrid offensive players? You match them with hybrid defensive players. So when offenses don't ha- don't have to sub, when well, you have the same person on the field and you don't have to sub, if you have Lorenzo Carter, he can play outside linebacker if he needs to on one snap. Then if the offense spreads out with the same personnel. When well, I can spread him out and play star, you don't have to sub. You can match the personnel. That is huge in today's game, and I definitely think Adam Anderson gives us the ability to do that. Now, how comfortable is he playing in space covering? I think it might be a work in progress for him. Now, we have seen him do it on third downs in our diet package. Now, we haven't seen him do it to some great degree. Usually, he's just dropping into a zone. We haven't seen him really have to man up on guys very often, and that's something that he'll probably ask to do from time to time because you can't be in the same coverage every single snap when he's out there Playing star, but I do think it's something that we need to explore. And I would be surprised if we don't see that fairly often this year, especially when you play a team like Clemson that will do some of that with, with some of their hybrid players. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great way to not only get Anderson on the field, but to get Anderson and Nolan Smith on the field at the same time, two of our most dynamic athletes on defense. And those guys have got to be on the field. If you're on the field at the same time, watch out because those guys are going to make life hell for opposing quarterbacks so great question I'm totally on board with this and uh, just based on the fact that Kirby himself was talking about this and he's usually pretty tight-lipped about these kind of things I fully expect to see quite a bit of this once the 2021 season rolls around
1: all right next up we have a question from Michael he says have we gotten to the point where the weakness of the other teams in the SEC East is now a detriment to UGA we want to be better, but how much better? And what can or should be done to increase division parity?
0: Yeah, thanks for the question, Michael. I think this is an interesting question. And I don't know if I'm interpreting this correctly. So I apologize if I'm not, Michael. And if I am not answering your question of exactly how you want me to answer it, please feel free to reach back out and I will I'll try to answer it better next time around. But I, I would say this. The way I interpret this question is you're saying basically that the rest of the SEC East is weak. You try to tell me if you think I'm crazy. I think what he's saying here is the rest of the SEC is so weak right now and that hurts us because our level of competition isn't as strong. So that maybe hurts our chances to get in the college playoff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at here. So if that's how this question is intended, I would say I'm not so sure it's a weakness. Um, Because I would say this, like, Clemson plays in the ACC Atlantic. Is that a weakness for them? The Atlantic is terrible. It's a terrible yeah. division. I mean, it's it, Syracuse. I mean, Boston College, Louisville. I mean, right. But I'm saying, has that been has that been a, an impediment for them?
1: No. I think it's it worked helps to their then advantage. That they don't really have anyone to play in the championship each year.
0: Exactly. Well, the, that's because well, the coastal is terrible. The ACC in general is just terrible, really outside of Clemson. You have some okay, decent programs here and there, but when Florida State's not up, then it's just Clemson, and it's just, it's there's nothing going on. I mean, NC State's been their biggest competition consistently the past couple years, and like. What NC State? Like, so I would say. I mean, it hasn't really been a a weakness for a team like Clemson. So I'm not sure it's a weakness for us. Now I will say this: here's what I think. I think having weaker competition in your division, if you're in a Power Five conference, especially a conference like the SEC, even if the East is is kind of, I guess, seen nationally as maybe weaker than the West because you don't have Alabama, you don't have LSU, you don't have Auburn, right? Even if it might be seen as a weaker division nationally, it's still the SEC, and the SEC gets so much respect nationally. So I, I think having a weaker division like that, actually, I think it helps you getting into the playoff like Clemson. There's just no competition. And I'm not saying there's no competition. I mean, the SEC East is stronger than what Clemson has to face because Florida at least has the potential to be pretty good. And they've, they've gotten their act together more so than they have in the recent past. So I, I think having a weaker division like the SEC East is, at least has been, I think it might help getting into the college playoffs. I will maybe allow that it does hurt you once you've gotten there because maybe you aren't as tested. Does that make sense, Charlie? Like, if you haven't been tested against some of the best teams, maybe you play some of those better teams in the playoff, like Clemson did this year, and you get, like, run out of town. Yeah. But Clemson's also had a fair amount of success in the playoff, too. They've won a couple here this in the past true. couple years. So, I don't know. Um, and I also say this, like, if the argument is that, well, you're not going to be – Tested enough when you get to the college football playoff. If your divisions that week, you're you're gonna play better teams in the playoff, and you're gonna get run out of town like Clemson did this year against Ohio State. Well, if that's the argument, I, I don't know if I if I'm down with that because being tested more often means you also have more chances to lose those games, right? You hope that you win, you're good enough to win those games, but you could also end up losing those games. Like I don't know this year, for example, right? I mean, try to think about this: if we did not have to play Alabama this year, we were going to win. The SEC East. Yeah, we lost to Florida. The Florida lost to A&M, and they lost to LSU. If we only had one SEC loss, we would have won the SEC East and played Alabama again in the SEC Championship game with JT Daniels, a much healthier team with an actual real quarterback. Who knows what could have happened there if we had not played Alabama. So, yeah, I, I do think – now, I know Alabama's not in our division. I get that. But I'm just saying, like, the more tests you have in the regular season – the harder it is to get to where you ultimately want to be, which is a college football playoff. And I get that, you know, that can also help you because strength of schedule. And if you have a bunch of teams that are kind of stacked there, like we had this year with Texas A&M getting left out, you want to have as strong of a strength of schedule as you can so that you can kind of have an edge there if it comes down to that. But ultimately, I don't really know if playing, if you're in the SEC, which again, is already considered such a strong conference national, like year in, year out, the best conference, that's the national perception, even though you might be playing in the lesser division, when it's perceived as the lesser division of the SEC, it's still the SEC. So I just don't think it's a weakness. I don't think it works to our detriment all that much if you, if you look at the big picture there.
1: Now, with the NCAA tournament taking front and center in the sports world over the past week, we actually have a few UGA basketball questions to close things out with today. So the first question is from Jerome. He wants to know, with Walker Kessler announcing plans to transfer and Georgia's obvious need for size, do the Dogs have any shot of landing him out of the portal? All
0: right. Quick question here, Charlie. Uh Uh-huh. Where did Walker Kessler play this year? What team is he transferring from?
1: No without cheating
0: true. without cheating
1: i do not know i'm
0: sorry i, don't, I hate you this just funny because you just don't college basketball is just not on your radar
1: he played at unc oh
0: girl oh i see on your computer yeah great job yes he did play at unc do you know who his brother was
1: um i've heard his name I don't know. Houston Kessler. Houston Kessler. Right. I know. Yay. Obviously, big college basketball
0: fan. That's why right. You're. We're gonna get to your stuff, the tennis talk, a little bit later on here, just, in just good. a few minutes. So, um, trying to give you a hard time there, Walker Kessler. So, if you guys don't know who Walker Kessler is, he was a five-star freshman that played at North Carolina this year. Yes, he is the younger brother of Houston Kessler, one of the greatest Georgia players of all time. No, obviously not. That was his father, Alec Kessler. So, a Georgia legacy that really had no interest in coming to play for the hometown school here in Athens. And now he is announcing plans to transfer. He didn't play a ton most of the year because North Carolina has a ton of bigs. Garrison Brooks, Amondo Baycott, uh, Dayron Sharp. Those guys are all really good. He was kind of like fourth in the pecking order there. He got more time as the season wore on. Basically, he was the reason they beat Florida State a couple weeks ago uh, towards the end of the regular season. But couldn't really crack a lot of consistently there. I thought he should have gotten a lot more playing time if you ask me. I thought he was a really good, a really good player. I think he's more skilled offensively than most of those other guys. He's a seven-footer. Uh, much, much better than his brother Houston. If you guys remember Houston, gotta love Houston, gave it his all, but was limited athletically. Walker Kessler, not so much limited athletically. This guy is a seven-footer that can move. He's very polished. I love what he brings to the table offensively, defensively as well. And yeah, we have absolutely no size on this team, and we have, as Jerome said, an obvious need for size. But I gotta be honest with you here, Jerome, I, I would say don't get your hopes up here, man. Um, when he was initially recruited coming out of high school, the word was that his family just didn't really want to have anything to do with Tom Crean, which is becoming, unfortunately, more and more of a a common refrain that you hear with recruits, that Tom Crean is just um, not enticing a lot of these guys come to Athens. Yes, I know he did land Anthony Edwards, but I don't know how much that was about Tom Crean. I think it was more about UGA and... Anthony Edwards just wanting to play for his home state school. So that's becoming a problem. Recruiting is becoming a problem. And when you have – guys, the state of Georgia, we've said this before, has a ton of high-level basketball players. I mean, I was watching games all weekend in the NCAA tournament, and you see guys like De'Vion Mitchell at Baylor, one of the best years in the country, guys from Georgia. But he went to Auburn, then transferred from Auburn to Baylor. Now he's killing people. He's one of the best teams in the country. Look at UNCG, UNC Greensboro, Isaiah Miller two-time Southern Conference Player of the Year, that guy also from the state of Georgia. Both those guys are guards. That's just two guys at the top of my head. You don't think we're going to use one of those guys this year? Yeah, absolutely. And I know neither one of those guys are like big-time recruits coming out of high school, but there's just that's just giving you an example of there's so much talent here in the state of Georgia And we're just not landing enough of those players at Tom Crean. And it's starting, like, you you know, if you hear it with one guy, then another guy, it's one thing. But now you're hearing it over and over again that Crean's just having issues connecting with these guys. He's maybe not the most personable guy, kind of an awkward guy on the recruiting trail. And and, and honestly, another part of the problem is he just doesn't have the in-state connections. With the AAU programs, those coaches, high school coaches, he just doesn't have those connections. And when Amir Abdur Rahim left to go be the head coach at... Kennesaw State, that really hurts us. He was our connection to those kind of programs. He was the kind of guy that helped us get guys like Anthony Edwards, those kind of players. And we really haven't recovered since then the recruiting trail. And it's, it's becoming an issue. It certainly is. So I, I don't know. Like, I would, like, it makes sense. I see why you're asking this question, Jerome. It, it makes a lot of sense. He's transferring from North Carolina. We obviously recruited him very heavily, although he was recruited very heavily by almost every team in the country but he he is a legacy here. His dad's one of the greatest players in Georgia history. His brother played here not that long ago. We're the home state school. It makes sense, but you also have to factor in that he told us no the first time around for a reason. That doesn't mean he can't come back here and say, you know what? Yeah, I just want to come to Georgia. Maybe he sees that we do have such a need for low post players right now. And he's like, you know what? I want to play. I can make an impact. We, he saw what happened with Anthony Edwards. He went first in the, in the NBA draft, and he's having a, a really good rookie season. Maybe Custer sees that and says, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to come home. But right now, with Tom Crean at the helm and some of the issues that we've had recruiting, especially with these big-time guys, I just don't know if I'd buy that right now. And I, I hope that I'm wrong here because that would be incredible. That would be such a boost to our team next year. But I don't know. Right now, I'm really hesitant to say that we have much of a shot here. I really hope I'm wrong. But right now, I just I wouldn't hold your breath.
1: All right, well, that leads us into our next question. Ryan um, was listening to the show last week and says that he knows, you said you could go either way on firing or keeping Tom Crean, but he wants to know if you were Josh Brooks and were watching teams that have a fraction of our resources making runs to the Sweet 16, what would you do regarding Tom Crean? Fire him or keep him? You cannot straddle the fence.
0: I did straddle. I, w- I was straddled quite a bit last week. Because if you guys didn't hear that, I know basketball is not as popular as football and, and in the Georgia fan base. And some of you might not have listened to that episode. But what I said about Tom Crean, because Curtis, Curtis is on board just getting rid of Tom Crean right now. And I think I might be leaning that way right now, honestly. But what I said last week on the show with our basketball episode was, uh, you know, if, we, if I woke up tomorrow and I opened my phone up, pulled up Twitter, and saw an alert that we had fired Tom Crean, I wouldn't be upset. Like, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. Who's next? But if I saw a report that said, you know what, Josh Bruce comes out and says we're keeping Tom Green for a year, I'd be like, okay, that's fine, I get it, because you know he does have the he does have a history, as I've said several times this offseason, going back to Marquette and in Indiana of, taking, of building programs. It took him some time, took him a couple years, but year four, especially Indiana, is when he, his programs really took off. We've seen it also at other SEC comparable SEC programs, at least from a basketball historical standpoint, like Auburn. Bruce Pearl, I know he's got that program humming right now. It took him about four years to make that happen. So Looking at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, well, maybe you know, giving him one more year might not be the worst thing. I'd be okay with it. I'm not advocating for, like for sure. I'm not going to stand up and just shout from the rooftops, we've got to keep Tom Cream for one more year. That's basically what I was saying. I, I, I could go either way on it. But if I had to pick one option here, fire him or keep him, I think Curtis made some really good points, especially with the recruiting last week. And the more I think about it, I... If I had to pick, if I'm Josh Brooks and I got to make a decision today, I think I would lean towards just moving on. He did make some progress this year. COVID certainly impacted things as it did for many programs. But there are some structural issues in the program right now. And some of it's just Georgia basketball stuff. It preceded Tom Crean. But there are some issues right now within our program. And I've, I've heard some, some whispers coming out in the program around town. And it, none of it's really positive. I know that Marquette fired Wojo. So there's some rumors out there uh, about Tom Cream being potentially in play for that job that he's kind of looking around. Like he's like we would prefer him to go somewhere else and like he'd prefer to end up somewhere else. But who knows if that's going to happen. Maybe we're not ready to fire him, and pay the buyout. And maybe he's not gonna be able to find a place to go. And so maybe he's stuck here another year. And that would be the worst case scenario. If he doesn't really want to be here, we don't really want him here and he has to be here again next year. Like that, no one wants that. But recruiting is the big problem right now. Because if you want to turn your program around, you've got to get players. How do you get players? You get coaches that can go recruit those players. It's that simple, all right? You either have to be just an incredible X's and O's type coach that can take subpar players and and turn them into a, a really good basketball team, like you saw maybe with Scott Drew for years at Baylor, uh, maybe a guy like Porter Moser at, at Loyola Chicago, or you have to have a guy that can go out like John Calipari and just recruit the best players. And even if you're a pretty good coach, maybe not the best X and no guy, but you have great players and you win a lot of basketball games. Now we're not Kentucky; we can't sell that. But that's what it takes. You have to have a guy that can get players in here or can coach them up. And I don't know if Tom Crean's an X and no guy. I don't think we've seen much evidence that that's the case. Through his first three years in Athens, and he, everything I've heard, I've never met the guy personally. Uh, I know he really won the fan base over when he came in here with a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm when he first got here, but. Everything I hear is that he's just kind of an awkward guy in those kind of personal settings and is having a tough, tough time kind of connecting to players. We saw Ty Fagan that uh, he's transferring. Now his playing time decreased as the year went on. Christian Brown's transferred. Jaquan Walton transferred at the beginning of the year. We've had a lot of guys leave the program. That's not, again, not altogether unusual. I don't put that just on Tom Cran. It's not altogether unusual in college basketball. But when you start to hear rumors a guy like Katie Johnson might be exploring a transfer, and I don't have anything hard on that. There's just some rumors around. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I'll say that if Katie Johnson transfers, we got to get rid of Tom Green immediately because we're going to have no chance. And it, he's basically just running players off with his personality, if that is indeed the case. So I don't know. If you look at everything in totality right now, if I had to lean one way, I think I would lean towards just moving on and trying to find that next guy. And that's a whole nother conversation that we'll hold for another day. Like if we fired Tom Crean, where would we go? Who would we look for? I keep hearing people say like, just throw the bank at Porter Moser. Guys, we're not getting a guy like that. Porter Moser could potentially get the Indiana job. It doesn't matter how much money we throw in He's not coming to Georgia. A guy like Wes Miller from UNCG maybe he would come here, but as soon as North Carolina opens up, he's probably going to be very high on their list, so then he goes North Carolina. I just, I've I seen Rick Pitino, Curtis mention him, I, and look, is he a great coach? Absolutely, but with the history of scandal in our basketball program, guys, we're, we're not doing that. We're just, we're not going to go that route. I mean, Josh Brooks would stun me. Maybe, you know, he has a new AD, he has a different philosophy, but I just don't see that happening. I've seen people say, Chris Beard from Texas Tech. Guys, we're not getting anyone like that. Kelvin Sampson uh, from Houston, he's not coming here. He's not leaving Houston. He's got anything humming right now to come to Georgia, no matter how much money we offer him. And by the way, he's also a guy that has significant instability issues in his background. We're not hiring a guy like that. But anyway, We'll save that conversation for another day because there's a lot of different ways we can go with that. But yeah, if I had to lean one way, Ryan, if you're gonna put me on the spot there, no stride on the line, I would say go ahead and just move on. I've changed my tune on that. I've thought about a little bit more. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to move on.
2: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to lipsenads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. That's all of the mailbag.
0: That's it? Yep. That's it. All right. Well, since we've got our resident tennis expert Charlie here with me today, we're going to close things out with another edition of Georgia Tennis Talk. The third-ranked Georgia women's tennis team was off this weekend before heading back out on the road to Kentucky and Vanderbilt this coming weekend. But the men's team was home for a big non-conference weekend of top 25 matchups. First up was number 13 Wake Forest on Friday night. Top 25 matchup Wake Forest number 13. Our guys ranked number 17 coming into the weekend. It was a very chilly Friday night in Athens. got very cold, very windy. And our guys put forth a great effort, but ultimately fell 4-3 to the Demon Deacons after Phil Henning dropped the decisive match in a very, and I think a controversial three-set loss on court three. Charlie, I'm going to start here with the tennis talk. I know you have a lot to say about this match against Wake Forest because you were texting me the entire match about this team and this coach. So I'm going to give you the floor here. First, just tell us what you think of the Wake Forest tennis program. I know most people are like, Wake Forest, who cares about Wake Forest? Just get, I know you have some stuff you off your chest.
1: Historically, they are a very strong program competing the in the past heaven. decade or so. Yes, very, very good team. Tall guys, big guys play well. However, the three times I now three times I have seen them in Athens, the coach, I don't even know what his name is. I don't need to know what his name is. I don't is. know what his name is. But he is not a nice guy. If I was the parent of a player, I would not. Oh, come on, not don't not hold back. There.
0: Not a nice guy. Come on, I would come not
1: on. want him going there. My child going there because he, I don't know.
0: Tony I'm, Bresky.
1: Mm, yeah, I don't really care for Tony Bresky. Tony
0: Bresky um, is a straight up punk. I'm just going to be real.
1: Is
0: a petulant rude. child.
1: He's antagonistic. He's a petulant child and his players act the same way because when your leadership does things like scream at judges and the head ref, then your players will. I mean, the guy who's like trying to pick a fight with fans one he, year.
0: He tried to pick a fight with fans. He's talked trash to our players.
1: Screamed at a player. Screamed at across our across players. At our players across Ugh. the net.
0: And when their players it incites them to do crazy things. So they've tried to get into it with our fans, with yeah. our players. like.
1: This unfortunately, unfortunately, we lost that match. But yeah, I just don't like him. Well, and,
0: and speaking of losing that match, it came down, as I said, came down to the final match on court three, third set, ended up losing it. But how many controversial? Like I'm not to say controversial, just flat out horrific calls. Lost Phil hitting that match. Oh,
1: they were awful. And not I, even close. Uh, yeah, and then at the end of the match, the head ref, which bless her heart, I feel bad for her that yeah. she had to tolerate his um, asinine yelling um, you know she, he they were complaining that fans were saying things the fans weren't talking so she went and was standing near the fans so that they would be quiet and then they were like you're not even gonna come over here you don't need to worry about the fans it's like you they were just going to complain about anything because they wanted to complain and then on court two earlier in the match, Zink got some calls, or the pl- guy he was playing called it out, and the judge overruled him. And it happened at least twice.
0: And one of them, he tried to call a let because the ball was rolling to his court, but the ball wasn't even close to his court. Well,
1: and he, he called a serve out, but he wasn't loud enough, and it didn't even look like he pointed. And then Zink kept playing because yeah. he didn't hear it. The judge didn't hear it, so it, it's in play. And... So the coach was whatever his name, Tony. Tony Bresky. I'm gonna put him on blast like here. Yelling for several minutes at the judge and then they had to call over the head ref. So then by the time it got to court three, Phil was getting horrible calls and the judge kept saying the um wait for I keep getting UCF and Wait Forest. Forest. So yeah. Same there was, colors. There was a lot of Same drama colors. this weekend. Yeah. And the Wake Forest player kept calling his balls out. Well, they couldn't all be a smidge out and they were at critical moments the judge kept going oh no it was out and then give him the little little you know
0: I know a lot of you haven't seen college tennis matches half the time judges aren't even watching the match they're they're literally not watching the match and so they kind of look up and they're like oh yeah it was out it's like oh my god because Phil was basically serving to win the match and to win the second set and the the ball was clearly in. It was in. It was clearly in on it. It was like an ace. Three times. It wasn't even on the line. It was inside the line. Yeah. Like, and it was literally right in front of where I was sitting. I had a, a I had a better view of the way the judge got. Not. It wasn't even close. Not even close. And, and the guy calls it out, which is just a punk move because you know he's, he was losing. He was going to lose that the match at that point. And the judge called it out. It was a, it was a deuce point when Phil and, and we have we played no ad in college tennis. So Phil lost, that got broken, ends up losing second set, and ends up losing the third set, and we lose the match. Yeah. And in was... the third set, there were multiple horrific calls. Horrific calls. Yeah, so, it just
1: got worse and worse.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be a – I know it sounds like we're being sore losers, but, guys, I'm, I mean, I'm talking like – just not even close Well, and cars.
1: then, even not even involving UGA, when the championship was here last time, Wake Forest was playing UNC up on the upper courts, and it was like you could hear him yelling...
0: From the lower courts, yes.
1: Like 100 yards away... And it was like, oh, who's that? Oh, I think that's when we were playing. Coach. We had to
0: come back because the to match come back. It was against UCLA. I it was at USC that night. It was one of the, one of the teams? It was either USC or US, UCLA that night. I think it was UCLA. We had to come back as it rain delay, and we came back at like eleven o'clock to finish the match. And we were down the lower courts. We could hear the man screaming from all the way up in the top courts.
1: Yeah, it was
0: insane. And like, if you hear like one time, I know it's tennis, and you have some petulant people who play tennis. It's just it's a country club sport, and there's entitlement. I'll share all that. It happens from time to time. He's not the first and won't be the last person to argue with the referee. Our guys do it too. I'm not going to say that we're innocent. But the degree to which this guy has done this, and just it's over the top. Oh,
1: and then he was like, at one point, he was like, I'm going to take this to the
0: ITA. I'm calling the the ITA on you. I'm going to have to. I'm like, dude, oh my God, are you a four-year-old child? Yeah. And it's just happened every single time we've seen him here in Athens. It's the same thing. Not once, not twice, three different times. With the same coach and uh, his players reflect his leadership and it's just uh, at this point I just hope that we don't ever schedule them again. I don't want to ever play. Them. I mean, it would be great to beat them. I don't ever want to play them again here yeah, now. Just it just, it's just, it just
1: gives me an yeah, hicky feeling. Don't
0: like it. Don't like that there. But that match uh, didn't go our way, unfortunately. I think we kind of got cheated there. Call me a sore loser if you want. That's fine. But the guys did not hang their heads. They bounced back with a big four-two victory over number twenty-one UCF. Who I know you might say, what's UCF? Who cares? Guys, they're, that's a good program. They've already beaten Florida State. They beat Miami. They gave number 10 a and a run for their money and a tight 4-3 loss. They have one of the best singles players in the country on court one, and oh yeah, by the way, they're coached by John Roddick. If you don't know that name, yes, that's Andy Roddick's brother, who is uh, used to be a he's a former Georgia player, well, former Georgia assistant coach with Manny Diaz for a couple of years, won a national title in 2001. Went coaches brothers in the pros for a little while, built the Oklahoma tennis program up to a, a powerhouse. I think they had a couple, I think it's two or three runner ups in a row, not that long ago. He takes a job in Central Florida. And he's building that program up. They are really an up-and-coming program. And for a while, it looked like this match wasn't going to go our way. Either we won the doubles point, which is great. It's always a great start. It's critical. But then we lost five of the first six first sets in the singles play. And it was looking pretty dire. Uh, Manny put it best after the match. I think he says, like, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't have bet much on us to win this game. Uh, or win this match after after how the, the singles first set started. But this is what I love about this team. They fight. They battle, and they keep coming. Blake Croitor uh, fell on court four, uh, which tied the match at one. Then Tyler Zink grabbed a dominant win on court two to retake the lead, 2-1. Then Trent Bride fell to Gabriel DeCamps on court one. DeCamps is a really good player. and uh, That tied it uh, at two. And then Billy Rowe on court five, transferred from Vanderbilt, battled back after dropping the first set to give us the lead at 3-2 before Philip Henning exercised his demons from Friday night. He was down he lost the first set, was down 2 5 in the second set, but battled back to take the second set, got the break back, and then just dominated the third set 6 1. Kind of the opposite of what happened, really the exact opposite of what happened on Friday night. And I was really happy for him to kind, of, to kind of just, because I know that was a tough loss for him, you know, when everyone's watching you there and to be able to come back. Everybody's watching you again, it comes down to you again there. And this time you come through with a big win against a top 25 team, so really big win there. Charlie, what were your big takeaways from the win over UCF?
1: I was impressed with the way Eric Gravilius has been playing
0: on court six. Yeah, he had to play court four a lot last year, and I don't think he was ready for that as a freshman. He's become a really, really good court six singles player, and I love that he's got this. I don't. Know, I can't. It's not a visual medium, but I'm trying to do it He's got this finger wag. You guys can't see this. Charles is gonna be like, "I'm crazy." You do know what I'm talking about. You see him do this the yes. little finger wag. It's 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 awesome. It's hilarious. I like love it. It's a signature. Play. He
1: gets. He's the hype guy for the tennis. Totally, team. and
0: he's not he's, obnoxious about it. Like, no. he's, he's just like into it. He yeah. wants. He just very excited. Really good natured guy
1: Um, And um, I was surprised With Blake I don't know If his back is still hurting He's one of the guys That singles, was hurt for a while He lost like Six two,
0: Well he, six, he won Fairly easily something. On Friday And I was like Maybe he's back He's yeah, been down This back injury His serve hasn't been back I said like, maybe he's back now. Maybe tired then, by yeah maybe Sunday. and then Sunday he just got uh, um, he got worked pretty good.
1: Yeah, Tyler's been Tyler's Inc. on court two has been playing really well. I was really impressed with Phillip's fight on Sunday.
0: All of our guys fight they yeah. all, but the way Philip fought on Sunday, like and you could tell like,
1: and Billy too.
0: Billy, but Billy's been a, like Billy hasn't won every match, but he's been a really great addition to this team. I think he's been a really good fit. He seems to be. A, I don't know the guy seems like a really good young man out there. Fights. Um, he's a good leader for this team.
1: Yeah, he's a, and he, gr- he just he's a got grinder. here. So he's, I yeah. mean, he's older than everyone, but he's yeah, still a hes transfer. a good leader. Um,
0: really good core five player. Not for giving
1: us. up. So helps the younger guys.
0: I want to go back. You've mentioned Tyler Zink. Tyler Zink is really coming on. This is a guy that was a, a highly recruited freshman last year, played court three, forces so up on court two right now. Obviously, his freshman season got cut short. Start off this year, uh, I don't want to say slow, but he didn't look like he was fully in rhythm the first couple of matches when we were indoors. But the past couple matches, he has really come on. I mean, he's playing lights out. Not only is he dominating, but like he's just—he's setting up shots. He's hitting incredible shots. I mean, he is his serve. I think he—he he has worked on his serve so much this season. I—I I would venture to say right now he's got the best serve on the team.
1: Oh yeah, I think Easy. I think he's
0: got the best serve on the team. And it wasn't—I don't even earlier this season. I don't think that was the case. I think throughout this season at this point, it's gotten better and better to where now I think he has pretty clearly the best serve in the team. He can hit just about every shot. He's a very coachable guy, uh, very different than your average tennis player. He's kind of introverted, doesn't get too loud, but he can, he can get excited you know, when he wins the match. I really like this guy, and I think, man, he's got court one potential written all over him. I know Trent Bright's a really good player too, and, and Trent's awesome on court one, but uh, it's really good to have a one-two punch like that. When you got Trent Bride, when he's healthy, Tyler Zink, and even if you say a one, two, three punch, when Phil Hanks playing well in core three, Phil can be a really good player as well. So uh, it was, I wish we'd gotten both matches of the weekend, but it was a really big win to get that one over UCF. So if we can keep the momentum going this weekend, we've got two more home matches. We've got number 22 uh, Kentucky coming into town on Friday at five o'clock. So if you're looking for something to do with the family, come on, check it out. Uh, it's totally free. First come, first serve, first 275 people that get there. And I think we have, I want to say Vanderbilt on Sunday as well. So it'll be a lot of fun out there this week. And hopefully it doesn't rain. We'll see. Hopefully it kind of holds off. Right now it might not look so good. But hopefully that holds off. But another great weekend of tennis here in the Classic City. But, Charlie, is that it?
1: That's it. All right, guys. Well,
0: that's it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. We always appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us here on the show. We will be back later on this week recapping the first week of spring football practice. So make sure to check back then. But thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as
1: always... Go Dawgs!